the way I look at it, everything I think is that you have to make it fun. You have to make it, it has to have a passion behind it. Another thing that I wanted to bring up is that when we talk about the community in this industry and how open people are, similar companies like mine, even larger, it's okay to ask these questions. It's okay to ask them for advice and for questions. And you may seem like you're being naive and you don't have experience, but biggest thing I've learned is that I promise you, nobody knows it better than you. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm really happy to have Nina Tikaradze on with me today, who is the founder of Naughty, which is an organic Rose Hill hip juice brand, but so much more than that because it's really based on a mission. So I'm going to let Nina talk about that, but welcome to the podcast, Nina. I'm really, really excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me, Christy. I'm looking forward to our discussion very much. Me too. So you have such a unique story. I'd like to just start with you giving a little bit of background first on Nadi, and then just talk about what you're doing also, because your background's interesting and your story is definitely one that we haven't heard on this podcast. So thank you. Yes, I would love to talk about Nadi and how our brand was found. So originally I'm from the country of Georgia, which is a very small country over in Eastern Europe. And in my country, roasted juices are very well known. This is something that usually grandmas make it at home or moms. And my entire childhood, my grandma would make these juices for me anytime I didn't feel good or my stomach hurt or before tennis or after tennis. It was kind of like a to-go drink across the board for everyone. And originally, when we had the idea for creating a juice company, right away, that was initial thought that something that was already well known, but it was not very... It was not available in retail as much. So that was kind of where I was comfortable with because I knew that there was demand for it within my country. But everything really started with our mission and and how me and my friends felt about what was happening within the country itself. So in 2008, when Russia invaded Georgia, we had over 300,000 families, most of them farmers who were left homeless under the status of internally displaced which in many ways we sometimes refer to this as refugees, but they really were Georgians just within their own home country that were internally displaced. And we tried to figure out many ways how to support and how to help these families. And one of the thoughts was that if we were to start a company, it had to have a mission, it had to have a purpose, it had to be good for community. So we launched Nadi, a small, you know, roasted juice company, and we hired as many folks as we could. And honestly, we started everything with just $5,000. We renovated space available. Thankfully, I had an amazing friend and partner, George, in the city, in Tbilisi. So with his resources, with my resources, and many friends and family helped, we started the company. But honestly, never in a million years, I thought I would be competing with Palm Wonderful in a fridge of our publics. So we, we were one of the original companies that get USDA organic, which is a big deal for somebody in my country. So that gave us a little bit of a heartbeat to then see if we could participate in, in the U.S. market. 
And honestly, that's been my dream to bring a Georgian product, high quality products to the U.S. market. And little by little, I think we've been able to accomplish that. But to, to really go back to the, the core um, of the company, it's there are many mission-driven companies today in the U.S. especially, but many of this is very much a piece of marketing idea. I want to emphasize that it is so wonderful to be mission-driven almost doesn't matter why you do it. I want every company to be mission-driven. You know, my little guy, my 13-year-old youngest son started a company and it was like, you have to have a mission. Just like, okay, mom, it has to have a purpose. It can't just be for the sake of profit. But of course, that's very important as well. So for us, because we were driven by so much passion, um, very quickly it grew. And very quickly we were able to obtain a lot of volunteers, including like all hundreds of demos we were doing. All of these people were at one point themselves refugees. So we felt very good community around us, not just in Georgia, but also in the US. Incredible. Um, And sadly, that is one of the one of the issues across so many countries where they are refugees and they are, it, it may be caused by, you know, wars or so many conflicts across the board. But but the amazing thing about people who have lost so much is that their heart and their passion becomes work and they give so much back. Mm-hmm. So that's, we've been very, very fortunate. We've had amazing teams along the way. So as we grew and we, you know, we took a risk of coming to the U.S. with this brand. Obviously, I had no idea what I was getting myself into at all. I would listen to a couple of podcasts. You know, I went to a BevNet, which is a really awesome mm-hmm. community. And one thing that I absolutely loved in this particular industry is that everybody is so nice and welcoming. And right away, you feel this camaraderie, which is very much unheard of in other industries. I can call my direct competitor and say, hey, what do you think about this? And they'll give you a, you know, honest response. It's it's amazing. That's another thing that I really fell in love with, Nadi, is that all these amazing people that I've met along the way, I'll come back and touch that in a minute again. Quite honestly, when I, with Nadi coming to the U.S., I have a full-time job, which I absolutely adore. I've been at this law firm for 15 years. It's called Bruce Smith. I'm head of marketing. We have like 30 offices, you know, 900 employees. So it's a pretty significant job. And the reason I'm mentioning this is that, you know, many, many people in this industry feel like they have to drop everything to launch a company or they have to go to certain extremes, you know, get millions and millions of dollars invested. Mm -hmm. We have not raised any money. We have not, we don't have any investors. Everything we have is generated by sales and by my personal investments. But I really did not want to leave my job. And I have three kids. I have amazing family, right? So it's very, very busy. But I let the passion drive, Nadi. And then you find time. It's so interesting. Yeah, I want to talk about that some more because you're still doing your full-time job. So now you sort of have two full-time jobs, right? Because founding a brand is not easy and not not time-consuming. It takes a lot of time and energy. How do you handle all that? And and is that, do you want it to stay that way? Like, are you happy to have both things happening right now? Yeah, so far, I think so. I am. Yes, I love both of my adventures. And I think as long as you look at things as, as something that you love to do, it does not become two. It really just is one day and you try to accomplish 
whatever you can in that one day. And I'm very fortunate that at my law firm, you know, I have so many supporters. Many of them are my subscribers and many of them come and help me do demos. So I'm very, very fortunate that I work at an amazing place to support that. Not many people have that kind of option. So I feel like as long as I am doing the best I can in both roles, I can continue to do so. But obviously Nadi is growing, demands are growing. And I hope that I can just hire more people and maybe do a little bit less as we progress. At this time, I'm really not looking to be full-time really, you know, anywhere. It's just for me, it's just really one big adventure, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. I think it's an interesting perspective when you say it though, because you could go into being a founder with so many different ideas of what it's going to be like. And if you think it's one big adventure, that that makes it more fun, right? You're not you're not in that place like of the drama and the stress and the highs and the lows and, you know, yeah. because you're kind of expecting the unexpected, it sounds like. Oh, 100%. Uh, highs and lows is the formula. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, once, once you know. That. Yeah, yeah I think that a little bit because I think yeah, the challenges yeah. you faced are really unique to what you did. Yeah. I brought a brand here from a place that was, a, that was a huge challenge to begin with. And so just talk about some of your yeah, highs yeah. and lows. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you have to love to fix problems if you are in this industry or if you're an entrepreneur, if you own a business. I think that becomes almost a hobby of how many more things I can fix. (laughs) And if you look at it that way, then all the craziness that happens, you just feel like you just achieved a little bit more by end of the day. But, you know, of course, there are some drastic things that happen and uh, happen to us for sure. You know, originally, like I said, we started the company because we wanted to create jobs for refugees after Russia invaded Georgia. Well, when Russia invaded Ukraine in Kiev was our bottling company factory. And sadly, it, I'm, I'm not sure how much of it was destroyed, but eventually it was destroyed. And we lost tremendous amount of inventory and, and funds. And due to the war, none of this is insured, you know, insured. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very, very painful. One of the big lessons I've learned is that we had very unique bottle that was molded and made for us specific, which I thought was very cool and unique and gave us, you know, a different feel. And with the factory, of course, our mold went with it. So we lost our unique bottle form and the size. And when I was trying to wrap my head around everything I had to redo and and really restart, relaunch, I realized that that was not the smartest thing I did. More more unique you want to be, less you can maneuver. Even though we rebuilt the inventory and the flow of demand quickly, about within three to six months, it was still very, very much painful because we had to register all the new SKUs. You're talking about a few thousand stores. Honestly, it took very long time. A lot of funds went to it. Then you relaunch your different size, your different people changed a little bit. So it was it was definitely very mentally challenging and physically very challenging as well. But, you know, like I said, lesson learned. Um, That was another hurdle that we had to overcome and we are moving forward. But another big lesson I think I learned during those crises is that there's so many, all these quotes and all of these people tell you, you know, it's okay to fall. It's how you get up and all this positive messaging that you hear all the time. But I realized that Maybe it's kind of like I've never been wounded, but maybe, you know, when this bullet hits you, it you don't feel the pain until it really sinks in. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, that is what happened is that when we got hit with a loss, 
we very quickly came back and regenerated everything. And then the pain sunk in much later on. And I realized that I needed time. I need to look at the company. And sometimes that is what happens, I think, is in this industry is that you create a product, you get into a store, you know, you're doing promos, you know, and you're doing PR, you're doing all of this amazing marketing, advertising, you're talking to distributors, brokers. And next thing you know, you're like, oh, I have thousands of stores. Hey, but am I profitable? Uh-huh. Am, I, am I still in touch with my mission? Am I building the right team? So I think all of the, oh, everything that came out of the loss of factory was that I had to pause and I had to really evaluate where we were headed. I realized that many of our stores were not profitable. I realized that our online was very profitable. I took a look at our customer base one more time. Turns out it was not exactly what I thought and who they were. So we really, we really shifted the gear there. And I'm, I'm thankful for that time because I think I was running up that hill so fast. I did not know how much weight I was carrying. And once everything settled, kind of like a dust settles, we now are much, much stronger. And we have so many more capabilities because we knew what to cut out. Because mm-hmm. we were simply just putting resources everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the biggest lesson, as you know, in marketing is that you cannot make a, make a product for everyone. No. You cannot make a label for pleasing everyone. You have to know the customer and that's where it all begins. So it was it was refreshing for us to have that time to to really take a second chance at the company and and restart everything. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's really important. Like you were sort of racing and things were going really well and it was getting a little bit, sounds like it was getting a little out of your control in a way. Yeah. And then yeah. you took a pause. How did you figure out who your customer was and where the right places to focus were? Yeah, so what we did is that we did several surveys. That was, you know, easier, easiest piece. We we also have these special forms that we fill out during demos, and we went back and reread every single form. We have I personally received a lot of emails from customers, and I actually wrote almost all of them back, and I asked them what they liked about Nadi. How can I make it better? That's amazing. Uh, hundreds of emails I sent, and you can't be lazy you can't think about this oh my god this is so much you know it's not this is your baby you would do this when your heart is driving it you do it so i i have so many relationships now with these customers and they continuously say well this new packaging is not very environmentally friendly can you think of something else yes we are let's do this and i would get the customers involved and they love it yeah of course uh, and, and next thing you know they become your influencers even yes. though they have never even had as few of these people even started Instagram just for us. So that was very important to have some type of conversation. But also I went for the kill, so to say. I went to my competitors. And the best thing that competitors can do is to help each other because it really grows your channel, right? Mm -hmm. And if you look at it that way, what what I did with other juice companies and, and just kind of like a functional drinks, and even some of them are energy drinks that I approach, some of them are just water companies, is that how do we better communicate with our customer base? Who really are they? Who is on Instagram? Who is on Facebook? Who is on Twitter? Where do I need to be? Mm-hmm. Very quickly, the discussion, there was about, I don't know, about a few hundred of us on the Slack community talking about this. And very quickly, we all reached out to each other and figured out, hey, your base is probably here because you do really well at Whole Foods. You know, your base is really on Instagram because you tend to have people under 40 on your customer base. And I realized that my customer base is much older. Oh, than I thought. Um, what do you think yes. of that? How did we make of it? Think about yeah. that. 
why do you think that is true? Like what's the benefit of rosehip juice? And is that part of why you think your base is older? Yes, yes. Thank you so much for bringing that up. The biggest thing about rosehip juice is the vitamin C. It has The rosehips themselves have very high vitamin C. Many times when you buy in the United States vitamin C, it will say on it with rosehip because it is so valuable. It's very good for, um, you know, immunity system. So mm-hmm. when I launched originally, I remember one of the buyers of a very large supermarket said, you know, nobody even knows what immunity is. And that was true seven years ago. Nobody did probably only those of us that work out or, you know, we try to live a little bit healthier life. But during COVID, I will tell you what, we can't keep a single bottle around. We were sold out on every platform. Sure. Very quickly, people learned immunity. And mm-hmm. the same buyer called me and said, well, I remember you talking about this. So now do you want to launch in 376 of our stores? So it was really, really cool. And, you know, and we launched in those stores. But definitely immunity is the biggest thing. Skincare is amazing. Many of us women know when you go to Sephora or Ulta, you will see rosehip oils now. Yeah. So it has it has a lot of health benefits, but the biggest one I think also our juice brings is that we don't use any sugars. You know, it has zero sugar, I think only like seven or nine calories, depending on the size. So we're able to tap into folks that read labels, but not read them for fun. They really read it for ingredients. And when you see only two or three ingredients, I think it pleases a lot of customers. Mm-hmm, and sure. they kept coming back for that. Yeah, that's interesting. Did you change anything that you were doing when you realized who your customers were, who your real consumers were? Yes, we did. Of course. Of course, we changed quite a bit. First of all, I did not want to, I didn't want to neglect the younger generations who are growing up with a lot more resources and knowledge. So we have, we were doing certain types of campaigns for younger audiences, and we're doing certain types of things for for particular demographics as well. We also realized that a lot of folks that deal with diabetes have found this very helpful. So we've partnered with those types of podcasts and associations and organizations as well. So your marketing tactic and platform changes, your messaging changes based on the customers, but now you're very much tailoring it. And that I think also pleases someone on the other end because they are not receiving some type of fluff. It tells them that we care about you and we're looking at this from your perspective. Yeah. And talk about distribution. So it sounds like you, tell me how you initially went about getting that and where you're at right now with that. So originally we had a bunch of my friends deliver juices across the board. We One of the first cities we launched besides Atlanta, where I live, uh, was Cambridge, Massachusetts. And it was really cool to see that we were all over the campus of Harvard and MIT and small healthy stores around there. But it really just started from friends who were somewhere doctors, somewhere, you know, dentists, somewhere teachers on the weekends that would just make deliveries for us. But, you know, eventually, little by little, I, I started to work with smaller distributors in particular regions. Of course, we now also work with larger national distributors, but many, many lessons learned across the board when you work with distribution and brokers. With brokers, I realized that I loved having relationship with buyers directly. And even though brokers have a lot of experience and knowledge, you can definitely utilize them for certain things. But I wanted to be the one that had relationship with all the store owners. And I still do with every single one of them. And it's 2000. It's very important for me because first of all, these people, they move around, they change jobs. You have the right relationship, they take you to the next store. But also it makes everything very personal. 
And because of our mission, it is personal. And I wanted them to have that relationship with me. So we don't work with brokers at this time, only for particular compliance type of stuff. And then in regards to distributors, same thing. I wanted to have a relationship with them. I didn't want to be a brand that, oh, so-and-so distributor takes it and I don't know what stores I'm in. I try to be very close with all the distributors and work with them on the promotions and in advertisement so that they know that we're in this together as well. So that's, that's been very helpful for sure. And how many stores do you have distribution in right now? You know, I don't know the exact number because it just changes. And as many people in this industry know, you may have an amazing account that orders 24-7 for six months and then there's no order and then there's more. So probably around 2,500, I would say, is where we are at right now in the U.S. But of course, we're also in, in Eastern Europe and in Georgia and several other countries and I remember we were a bunch of us in my team, we were sitting together and we were saying, when we get 100 stores, like, imagine how cool that's going to be. And I wish somebody looked at me then and said, Nina, it doesn't matter how many stores you're in at all, at all. It all matters is how many customers come there for you. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather have 100 stores than have 2,000 where nobody knows you. And those 100 stores are the ones that you need to cherish and grow and really pour your heart into. But obviously, retail is experiencing massive issues right now because of economy in the country. So we, as a small brand who doesn't have you know millions of dollars investments, we are trying to think outside the box. We're trying to be places where others are not. So we've been able to carve out a little space for us, I think, in the communities where it's very much organic, organic stores or you know, health conscience stores, even cafes, restaurants, a lot of university campuses. So I think that's been very helpful for us because retail has become a little bit more aggressive now on how much you want to, you're supposed to invest in their advertising. Yes, for sure. It's really tricky. Yeah. So that's a something that's come up on a lot of podcasts. Like you get into these big retailers and if you don't support them the way they expect you to, and your velocities aren't what they expect. I mean, it, yeah. Usually not that long of a or good of a relationship. So yeah. it's interesting. Is getting so it doesn't sound like, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Getting more distribution is necessarily your top priority for the brand. Yeah, I think when you say distribution, I think for me it means having relationship with smaller distributors. I yeah. think that's pretty important. Definitely yeah. not okay. one, of the, one of the top ten things. But you have to know how much you can invest. Yeah, your company, not just financials, your time, your team's time. Right now, for example, we said no to West Coast, even though we got into several large supermarkets, we said no to them because I I need to be fully engaged with the stores that we currently have. We are launching in Wake Fern in a couple of weeks. We just recently launched at Central Market. These are my dream accounts, but that celebration has to happen. But then right away, it sinks in how much more work you have to do and, and you have to be excited about it and you have to have a plan. You have to have a solid plan. And it, thankfully, I work closely with all the buyers and managers to help me. I'm honestly asking them quite often, help me. You know your customers. How can I get how can I get in front of them? And they're there. They want you to sell, you know, so they'll, they're very helpful in that regard. No, I mean, that's amazing that, I mean, it's interesting also because a lot of people are afraid to ask those questions that you're talking about because they're afraid they won't seem like they know what they're doing. But I think what you're doing makes more sense because you're asking the people that know you're being responsive to what they're telling you. And I think people appreciate that. I think they want to help. 
Yes, yes. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I think at the end of the day, everybody there, this is their job to be someplace. And if they feel like they're part of a story or part of some type of community and you listen to their advice, you know, they feel more engaged with you and they care more about your product. I mean, I remember calling stores and saying, hey, can you please check for me if we're in that fridge? And the guy was like, what? We're not doing that. I'm like, please, please just do it for me. And he's like, okay, so next time I'll call, I'll say, Jerry, can you please check it again? That's like, so funny. But you know, so you you build it up, you build it up. And the way I look at it, everything I think is that you have to make it fun. You have to make it, it has to have a passion behind it. Another thing that I wanted to bring up is that when we talk about the community in this industry and how open people are, similar companies like mine, even larger, it's okay to ask these questions. It's okay to ask them for advice and for questions. And you may seem like you're being naive and you don't have experience. But biggest thing I've learned is that I promise you, nobody knows it better than you. Mm -hmm. Don't ever assume that because somebody's done it longer, they know it better. So it's kind of given me a little bit of a maybe an ego boost, but now I am never afraid to ask questions. Actually, more questions I ask, I feel like smarter you are. I totally agree. So I am all about asking many, many questions, silly or not, and building up that relationship so that I can continuously grow it and keep coming back for more questions. And many times they'll come back to you for questions as well. What is your goal for the brand? Do you have one? Yes, of course. Well, take it one day at a time, grow the customer base, of course, and be the brand that defines Rosehip. You know, we want to be across the board known as Rosehip Juice Company. Um, We did launch on the side a small apple chips company, I mean, within Nadi, because we were trying to create more jobs. And that was brilliant accident that happened to us. So we also have these apple chips that are in a few hundred stores and in you know, a few hundred university campuses as well. But really the brand, I would love to see it grow across the US. I would love to keep it as a small brand, but build a team within that is very passionate and understands the mission and is involved very much in the mission and helps communities across the board. And like I said, the, the issue and concern and the pain of refugees is so much broader than what I had thought when I originally started. That this is something that sadly there is always a demand and there's always people that need need to have a second chance. And I want to be known as that company that always creates something new for folks that especially those that lost everything. Do you keep track of how many people you've employed that wouldn't have been able to work otherwise? Well, it's difficult to say would not have worked otherwise. But, you know, definitely we've touched hundreds of families across the board. And and even during COVID, we had to get more creative. And, you know, we created opportunities for them to learn other types of career tools. So it, it's really a, a space where we hope that everyone can excel. And if your next adventure is to go work somewhere else, we hope we've done a little bit of a piece and giving you a step up ahead. I don't know. Everybody always says to think of that big picture, you know, what is that at the end goal? I don't have the end goal. I don't look at it as like, I want to sell this company and walk away in two years. I don't look at it as I want to have this go public. I really just want to take it one at a time and build a solid, amazing team around me. And and hopefully little by little, we can reach more and more customers. That's incredible. I have a couple other questions for you. Will you raise capital? Like, is that on your radar right now? Or are you going to continue to try to just bootstrap and do what you've been doing? Yeah, I think at this very moment, we're doing well. Of course, there is always a need of investments, but I don't want to become one of those entrepreneurs that or business that continuously has to raise money. 
I think it, it's really not fun. And, you know, you become very distant from your brand. Sadly, I know a few hundred businesses and owners who kind of get trapped into this mode of more and more and more investments because they have to spend more and more. And it's just kind of like a continuous chain that I'm terrified of. So I think if the right partner, right investor, you know, I get to meet someone, then that door is always open. But at this time, I really don't see myself going out there intentionally to to raise money, not 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 at this very moment. We just opened our new factory in Georgia, which now makes three million bottles. So I'm very excited. We have a massive storage unit of our own. So little by little, everything is moving forward and doing good. And hopefully we will keep growing. That's really it. Yeah. You mentioned something to me when we had our initial call, and I want to talk a little bit about it. You have talked about your network of people that you've met along the way and that you get supported by. Can you talk about that? Because I think the community in the better for you and healthier food startup world is different than a lot of the bigger CPG communities and and friendlier and more collaborative. And you're having a really positive experience on that front. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, yes. Thank you so much for giving me that opportunity to tell you about this. Of course, the, I've been saying this now several times that, you know, the industry is amazing. So many doors people are able to open for you and help you and guide you. But the most amazing adventure for me started when I won the Pepsi Award, so Stacy's Award. And I met four other entrepreneurs that we were put kind of in a team together and we decided that we would come together every Friday at two o'clock and we would help each other in any way we can. And we took that in a very different way. I kind of feel like I'm part of all of their companies now. And many times we're referred as Fierce Five team, which is really cool. But if I can name them, you know, we have, yeah, it's a dress it up dressings. Sophia, she just actually launched nationally in Whole Foods. Amazing, brilliant business owner. We have Hugo Coffee, Claudia, who is, you know, she's across the board in various stores, but she's about to launch in Salt Lake City Airport, a whole coffee shop. We have Ajani Coffee, Maria, who is from Colombia, and um, she has an amazing mission for farmers. She's located in California, but her coffees are distributed across the nation. And Justina's Cookies, she is amazing, also mission-driven company. She is available in Target stores across the nation. And each of these women is probably why I still have my naughty company. I don't know how many times I was ready to quit. And similar, they know they had similar feelings, but we hold each other very tight and and help each other as much as we can. And it's very, very important, I think, to find that kind of community where you can be vulnerable. Besides asking questions, you can really take to them problems and they understand them. They understand what it takes to withdraw from a store that was your dream because you are not capable of at this very moment providing possible advertisements or promotions or whatever. They understand the distribution issues, even simple things like I'm about to have a nervous breakdown. Can Let's get on the call. And then most importantly, we love celebrating together. Actually, Sophia taught me how to celebrate little things, which I love. So no matter how little they are, we all get on the call and we celebrate. And that's really been amazing experience. And I'm very much thankful for Pepsi team for putting all of us together and giving us this opportunity. It is amazing. And it's so important. And I think the things that you just said, like sometimes you feel that you're not going to make it through whatever it is, but having that group 
or even a person, like I've talked to a couple of people who just have an advisor that say the same thing. Like I need a sounding board. I need someone to not let me jump off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. hundred yeah, percent. And, and yeah. honestly, I also just love helping them as well. Yeah. You know, we all have very different situations. Some of us are moms, some of us are not, some of us are foreign, some are not. And within these five women, I think you can identify entire women's community because we've been through a lot. And when you put us all in together in one bucket, it's it's just very powerful force, I think. And I don't know how many times I've, I've gone out of my way to do whatever I can to promote them. They've done the same for me. So it's kind of like feels like a sisterhood feeling more than anything. Yeah. And, and I think it's also very important to have other advisors. You know, I have some brilliant advisors around who advise me on financials or on particular marketing or on retail. So those are very much valuable, just as the same. But I think having a small community of people who do what you do every day and they understand why you are up at 2 a.m. every day, you know, it's just very powerful. I would definitely recommend that for other entrepreneurs. Awesome. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I want to see if you have any you want like first of all I want to make sure you've shared all the things you want to share and then also is there any advice you want to give to people who are either struggling or trying to decide what to do should they start the thing what are the important things that you would say to them yeah well I think if you if somebody who is just now starting I would love to give them an advice to to just go forward and not be afraid and not to go too much into depth of how difficult things are and to Find that passion in you and lean into that. I think that will take you to amazing places in life. But if you hear of all the difficulties and all the financial burdens, it will hinder your, your progress as a person and as somebody that wants to achieve something. But knowing what you want, I think, is also just as important. I think I personally have never met anyone who started similar business for the sake of profit just to make money. I mean, this is usually driven very much by passion. And that's why I think many of us have opened door policy. Anybody can come and I will help. Whatever that passion is, I think that's what's going to drive you. And do know that nothing is easy. I have my dear friend Zaza Petulia, who was an NBA player from Georgia, and he made this short film about nothing's easy. And I remember telling him, I'm like, it's so negative. He's like, but you know, it's true. You will know one day. <laughs> I don't know how often I think about this. It is true. Nothing is easy, but it shouldn't be, right? You want something that's never been done before. Um, that's right. It's not so, easy. Yeah. So, so I think best thing anyone can do is give it a try. Put your whole heart into it. Don't be afraid of hard work and nothing's going to happen without it. And like I said, build a community around you and, and lean into people that, that want to help. They may not have all the answers, but if they want to help, you're a step ahead of many others. And then another big thing, which as a marketer, you may not like what I say, but you know, many people spend so much time looking at competitors mm-hmm. to know where they are, what they do, how much they cost or whatever. I think it's okay to do a generic overview and understand them, but I really don't ever look at my competitors. I don't want them to take my time away, but also I don't want them to shift my drive, the direction I'm going based on what I'm seeing them do. So very much intentionally, I do not look at the competitors. I want to write my own story and I want them to look at me. But if anything, I always tell other entrepreneurs just to stick with with your mission, with your goal ahead of you. And there's this, I don't know if you know this poem by Kipling If, 
like it has that little piece that says if you if you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet the triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. I love that because it is. It is so true that you know you can dream, but know where you're going, understand your goals, and understand that this is not going to be easy and just enjoy it. I mean, it's difficult, but there are so many great adventures that come with it. I think that's really awesome. I would love to actually see that poem that you're talking about. And I don't, as a marketer, disagree with you, actually. You know what I think happens? Yes, you should pay attention and know what's going on in your category. It's really important for you to know. But if you spend all of your time there, all you're going to do is what other people are doing or obsess over what you're not doing. Like I have this thing that I have in my head that someone told me once, and I think it was compare and despair. Like if you're just constantly in comparison to other people, you're never going to feel okay, or you're never going to stay on your own track. And so I think it's really important to have some, exactly what you said, know what's going on, but also do not lose sight of your own path, your own mission, because what's driving you is passion. You're being driven by something completely different. Your mission isn't even about selling stuff. It's about employing people that need jobs. And so if you start thinking about what the other juice brands are doing, you're going to lose sight of that. Yes, yes. Yeah, and then so you jeopardize yeah. your confidence. And I think in life, it's similar too. you know, totally. you, you, many people look at others that look better, they have more, they're it's happy. It's possible today. not to today, right? Because you're seeing it yeah. constantly. Like you have constant people posting about how perfect everything yeah. is. We, we all know it isn't true. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll feel bad. <laughs> yeah, and I'm very fortunate. I think my family keeps me very grounded. And, you know, I often say happiness is something that happens. It's within you, always within me. That is my confidence. And in life too, not just in, in this industry, but I try not to compare, if anything, just to myself, what I was yesterday. Maybe I've done a little bit better today. And sometimes you won't, you know, and it's okay also. It's also okay. But yeah, if, if there are other entrepreneurs who, who deal with a lot of export-import issues or factories overseas or want to start a company, I'm more than happy to help anyone and they can reach out and many of them do all the time. So that's honestly, that's what I love the most about this industry is this camaraderie that comes with it. Amazing. So today's World Refugee Day, um, and I know that's important to you. Can you talk a little bit about that? When we talk about this mission, I personally experienced this because of my country. When I originally started, this was not something that a lot of people talked about or really embraced or felt compassionate about. So I found myself leaning a lot into Hamdi Lukai, who is the founder of Chobani Yogurts. Um, he is originally from Turkey, which is right by my country. And his company obviously is massive and, and he has you know, so much larger reach. But originally, that was his mission also. So in, in many ways, I've been so inspired by him. And now that now that this topic has sadly become more relevant because of the situation in Ukraine, his platform um, has really been reaching now much, much larger audiences beyond the United States. And, and I'm just very thankful. Hopefully one day I can do something similar or support him in some ways. But it is very important that today we have louder voices than we ever did before on this mission and on this topic. So there are many other companies out there that are trying to get more involved. And Hamdi is one of those that is trying very hard to get more and more folks to hire refugees. And I just appreciate it very much. Thank you for mentioning that. I think it's really important. And I'm happy to have this airing on World Refugee Day. It's amazing. 
Well, I really want to thank you so much for all of your time. You're so generous with your time and with your honesty. I really appreciate it and think that my listeners will also appreciate it. So thank you. I wish you so much success. I'm just in awe of what you're doing. I think it's incredible. Thank you. And what you do is incredible too. I love what you do. You do amazing things. We should one day have a podcast on you. Oh, thank you so much. But thank you. I've listened to many of your podcasts and I love that you give us this space to really be real about things and, and share honest stories. So thank you. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.